Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December 29th, 2019. My name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, December 27th, 2019, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Group meeting is 13886, 13,886. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Group meeting, the share ID number is 13888, 13,888. This morning, A Vision for You presents Looking for Eggs in the Hardware Store. Well, goodness gracious, that dog just won't hunt. It just doesn't stand up against the things we keep telling ourselves. But get a compulsive overeater like us to see that in the midst of active disease. Over and over again, seemingly endless plans and schemes and efforts to do something about whatever this is, some of us for decades. We simply cannot break free. Break free. Humpty Dumpty fell off that wall. Then one day, who knows how come and from where, a lot of the time, along comes someone, something, some idea or message suggesting a program that has helped thousands to do just that, break free, and turn the disease on its head. Most have to be pretty badly beat up, holes all round through for the light to get in. But God in it did. What is this light and how on earth did it do for us what we could not conjure up and fix for ourselves? Simple. It is a method by which a certain set of steps orchestrated chronologically on a sober fellow gave access to power, a real relationship with power, something outside our existence, our ideals, our beliefs, something that many turned away from scoffing a long, long time ago. The first step is sobering up, clearing out all the booze, all of it. It's best that way, thereby setting oneself up to be able to get to set the steps in motion. This is nothing but forward. This process is nothing but forward, substitutionary locomotion. The first step removes the booze in order to begin step one. We're simply to activate this motion with an open heart and an open mind guided along each and every step. The execution of these steps thoroughly and seriously taken in the heart forms a relationship with power something beyond our understanding at first. So it takes a fair bit of faith and trust. And even if it's in the fellow that's guiding us through the steps or the fellowship itself, it can be done. Taken this way, little by little, we experience what some have come to call a phenomenon because it's apart from anything that we have currently experienced in most cases, clearly the opposite from our previous best efforts to do something about the condition that we are in. This process is transforming us our outlook, our attitude, our beliefs, and softening our hearts. This relationship with power has naturally and directly reconstructed us. We no longer think the way we used to think or act the way we used to act, nor do we want to. We are reborn. It happens to us. The execution of the steps on the disease sober precisely quickly creates a relationship with power that rearranges the disease of twisted thinking, the allergy of the body, comma, obsession of the mind, twisted thinking. Here to explain just how, how come some eggs cannot be found in the hardware store, which is twisted thinking, instincts gone awry, much needed relationship with power, is Marie J. Marie J. is coming to us today from Colorado to tell us what it was like 
and how tough it was to find eggs among the nuts and bolts at the hardware store. Or is it that tough? We're going to find out from Marie. Marie is a familiar voice on A Vision for You. You will hear her shares regularly on A Vision for You's weekday meeting. And A Vision for You surely appreciates her dedicated service to the structure of the daily meetings as well as she is a part of that group that has those meetings come live each and every day. Help me, please, to extend a hearty, warm welcome to our friend this morning, Marie J. Good morning, Marie. Thank you so much for that great introduction. Uh, my name is Marie J, and I am coming to you as a recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. And I'm coming to you from my garage and sitting at the ping pong table because I still have 11 people in my house in beds at 6.30 this morning. So here I am in the garage, the only private place in the house. Um, I'm just so grateful to be here to talk today. This is the third year in a row that I've been privileged to give a special edition um, on the last Sunday of the year. And it's funny because I have some mixed feelings about it because I find that whenever I I do a special edition. I have to go through a barrage of examples in my life to demonstrate how badly I act out on the very topic that I'm sharing about. So I think it's just God's little joke, you know, this way to remind me that I'm never cured. I'm just working one day at a time to to stay connected to God, to take direction, and sometimes days are messy. And with a house full of people at Christmas time and then getting to do a special edition at the end of that trip, everybody's leaving today, I have just all kinds of information at hand because of the holidays and what goes on with our families. So just really, really great to be here. So the title of this talk is Looking for Eggs at the Hardware Store. And this is about how we humans go to the wrong source to get our needs met, how we hold each other responsible for our happiness, and we create rules that dictate to each other how we want to be treated. And it's chaos that results because I'm stubborn and, and I'm selfish and I don't, want anyone to I don't want to follow anybody's rules and I want everybody to follow my rules. So it's really uh, with a bunch of humility that I let you know that what I am about to share is completely imperfect in my life. And I'm just really grateful for the spiritual progress that I've made along the way. But there's always so much more for me to learn. You know, I'm just a student all the time. And I want to start out with a couple of the teachers that I've been studying this year in an effort to further develop my spiritual connection to this higher power, which is my true source of everything. The big book tells us that the 12-step program is a spiritual program of recovery, and I emphasize spiritual. I have to get abstinent first, and when I'm abstinent, I get to work the steps, and the steps are all about finding and relying upon a power greater than myself and maintaining that spiritual connection in my daily life. All the steps are about finding and trusting this power as the answer, as the solution for my life. And... It's essential for my recovery, and recovery is essential for my happiness. So it follows that the spiritual connection in my life is essential for the sustained happiness in my life. And therefore, it's, it's the most important thing in my life, and I have to attend to it as such. I have to attend to that being my number one priority. 
So on page 87, in step 11 in the big book, the big book instructs me to, and this is the quote, be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. So I spent this year expanding my spiritual consciousness by studying some of these authors who have religious backgrounds that are very different from my own. And two in particular are Rami Shapiro, who is a rabbi, and Thomas Keating, who is who was, he's passed away, a Christian Cistercian monk who devoted his life to teaching contemplative prayer and meditation. And the reason I'm so excited about this talk is because when I came into program, I was so angry with the God of my childhood that I crossed the word out of the big book on every page and wrote in higher power. That took a lot of time. You know, I had to be pretty angry to not even be able to read the big book unless I crossed the word God out. And I was willing to believe, but I wasn't willing to believe in the God that I was raised with. And I hated and I criticized all religions and all religious people. So right off the bat, my story today starts with this miracle of acceptance of all paths to God. That's where I'm at today. That's the first of the many miracles I'm going to talk about today. It took some time and it took a lot of surrender, but it led me to my own relationship with higher power and a really solid and lasting connection to this power that the, the big book talks about, this power greater than myself. So I'm on the phone with a lot of people in this program, and the number one conversation I am always having with people is about finding a path to this higher power. And I think many of us struggle in this program finding higher power, and without it, it prevents true freedom, true, for true freedom from the disease. So this is the story of my continued path to God, and what I know today is that that relationship is growing every day. And I have new insights, and I also have new struggles on the spiritual path. But I'm really clear that the only way to sustained recovery is dependence on the power and continuing to work on this relationship every day as my first priority. It's over my children. It's over my husband, my work, money, bills. It's over everything. It's the first and most important priority, and when I attend to it, Everything else and everyone else gets taken care of. When I'm connected to the power, everything seems to work out. And when I'm disconnected from the power, almost nothing works out. Thomas Keating has really written some beautiful stuff on the human condition. He's written a bunch of books. And there's one little tiny book called The Human Condition. And it really complements my work in this 12-step program and my continued work on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. And once I achieve abstinence and I can actually do the steps, then I have to build this spiritual connection. And I don't really consider myself a religious person. And I use the word God, but my image of God doesn't resemble any God that I've ever known from religion or my upbringing. It's much more non-traditional and less in the image of man. And that's the, that's the beautiful thing. You know, in the big book, Ebby tells Bill, why don't you find your own concept of God? when Bill bristles at this idea of the God that he grew up with. And he's resistant. And a lot of us are resistant. And it is a key, it's key to this program and to recovery that we find our own path to God. But what I can say is that when I first took that instruction, I thought it meant I could make up God. Just make up a God. 
and but I don't think I don't think at all that's what Abby meant. Um, but I did that. I made up a God that that was what I thought God was and what God wasn't, and I never went past that. And as a result, my spiritual life didn't expand. My relationship didn't grow because God was a creation that I had made. I had a stagnant idea of who God was, and I created it in my mind, and I was still in charge. So I think this is a really hard part of the instruction of this program. And I think it took me a fair amount of time to keep coming back around and not having a rigid idea about God and to continue to ask higher power to reveal itself to me. But I did the best I could with the tools I had, and I just kept moving forward. And what I know is that it evolves. This relationship and this understanding and experience of God evolves. So as a part of looking where religious people may be right, in my fourth step I, uh, a while back, I went to a Catholic priest and I made an amend to that institution that I grew up in. And my part in that was that I badmouthed the Catholic Church for the 30 years after I left. And I badmouthed it as often as could as I could. And I made my amend, which was terrifying, and I cried, and I hadn't been in a church in over 30 years. But then I was freed of my judgment of all religion. And I'm not a Christian monk and I'm not a Jew, but I can look and see where religious people are right even when I don't practice that religion. So I think that instruction in the big book is so important. And I also, I have a brother who is a, who is a leader in the Mormon religion. And I turn to him a lot and I get great advice from him. Although we have very different beliefs about religion and about churches, and, and maybe even about God, I don't know. But it turns out that I've grown spiritually by being able to be open to this instruction in the big book, to be quick to see where religious people are right. So um, a lot of us, a lot of us suffer from being shut down because we were raised in religions we don't believe in. And that sometimes makes us you know, throw, out, throw the baby out with the bathwater, reject God as well. So what I know is that this program does not work if I don't find a connection to something we call higher power. We call it that because it's a nice big generic term that can take in any kind of connection to anything that your heart can, can connect to and call higher power. Your higher power and my higher power can be vastly different. But I know that my higher power cannot be me. And it cannot be my sponsor. And it can't be a human being. And in order to do that, I had to let go of my past. I had to not abandon the God thing just because I had some past experiences that caused damage. So today I have this connection to higher power. But just as any human being, I fail to be perfect in my spiritual growth. There's always more to learn. There's always more to grow from. And this is a process. So I have to be patient with myself too. So in January of this year, um, I started with Stephen Hawking's book. Stephen Hawking is an atheist, and he's one of the most brilliant scientific minds on earth. Um, he died last year, but he wrote a book on the answer to the big questions. And he has such a powerful scientific story against the existence of God that I totally went into a tailspin that lasted a whole bunch of the month of January. I lost my faith, and I was a mess, just like that. 
you know, I'm working on this God connection for the last seven years in program. And sometimes I really think I've arrived. I'm sure I know God. And then Hawking comes along. And in a matter of a few pages, I was convinced that there was no God. And I was really mad at myself for my lack of faith and how fast my belief had fallen apart. You know, it, it was all just really a house of cards. And I beat myself up. And I couldn't find any love and compassion. And I was really afraid. I was afraid that I had no faith and that I could be so easily swayed. And I was afraid I was a fraud in this program because so many people call me to talk about finding higher power. So my point is I'm imperfect in my spiritual program and it requires daily hard work to maintain my spiritual condition. And when I don't feel like it, I have to do it anyway because I was completely upside down and I couldn't find my way back to God. And I was angry that God could abandon me so fast. But that, of course, is not what happened. I abandoned God and then I became a victim. And I was finally in January able to speak to two of my spiritual teachers who helped me to see that I have experiences of this power and those experiences are valid. And just because Stephen Hawking is one of the most brilliant minds on the planet, it doesn't negate my experience that is real. And I have to trust my experience and have faith where there's no proof. I doubted my own experience and I allowed the opinion of someone who I believed was smarter than me to sway my mind. But when I reviewed my experiences of God, which is what these teachers asked me to do, I came back to a, connect, a connection to this power immediately. And that's not to say that I'm walking around having huge miracles drop out of the sky all the time. What I do is I pay attention to the small things in my life, the small experiences of God. Like the fact, and this is no small experience of God, this is a big one. The fact that I, don't ha I haven't had alcohol in six and a half years, and I haven't had sugar or gluten in three years. And that's a miracle because I had spent my entire life unable to manage that. And today I have no issue with alcohol, sugar, gluten whatsoever. I am neutral. And this last two weeks, I baked cookies and I make, make this incredible sweet breakfast finished bread from my grandmother's recipe and I baked and I cooked and I made all kinds of things that I don't eat. And there was not one minute in the two whole weeks that people were at my house that I had any notion to have a cookie or a piece of that wonderful finished bread that I grew up on, that memory of my grandmother. Not a single craving and not, not a thought of eating. But I didn't make that happen. Higher power did. And that is a God experience on a daily basis. That is a small miracle. And that my relationship with my husband is healed. And we didn't get a divorce when it seemed inevitable seven years ago. And that's not to say that we are all sunshine and roses and everything is perfect. But now we work on our communication. We attend to each other's needs. Where I used to openly criticize and judge him and demoralize him. And this man I'm married to is not religious and is really somewhat agnostic. I think he's just not interested in God. God's not a part of his life. And at one time I wondered if I could be married to someone who had no interest in spirituality because it's so important to me and how could I be in this marriage without it? And that notion that it needs to be there, that it has to be a part of our marriage, it's gone. 
And our relationship is better because of it, because I'm not demanding that from him. And I'm able to accept the life that I inhabit, the life that God has given me. And I let God have it. He's got his own higher power and it's not me. And this need to have a spiritual relationship within my marriage is no longer there when that need was so great that I almost had to get a divorce over it. And this is important stuff for me. It seems small, but this is stuff I never could have done on my own. This is divine intervention. And the list goes on and on about these experiences with God in my life. And that's what I pay attention. So I use the word higher power and God interchangeably. I also use the words universe, source, love, compassion, energy. All of these are descriptions of higher power. I use intuition. You know, all these are descriptions of God because it's all of these for me. And God is so much more than my mind can conceive. So I just encourage anyone who's struggling with God, this God idea in the big book that is so crucial to our recovery, to relax, you know, relax. Know that the power doesn't need to be rigidly defined. And just trust that it's there and whatever attempt we make in our recovery to connect to it is all that is necessary. But the most important thing is don't stop. I don't stop. I practice this connection every day. I do the work every day. For me, the connection deepens every day. And every time I make an effort, it just gets better and better in my life. And I become freer and freer as that face muscle expands for me. So Thomas Keating wrote a book called The Human Condition and how the human condition impedes my access to this power that is essential to my happiness. And we are all looking for a way out of this life of, of addiction and a way into a life of happiness. And my human condition is a block to that access. And like me, so many people that are on this line came from dysfunction. We all talk about our dysfunctional families. Well, Keating says that 95% of human beings come from dysfunction because we're all subject to our human condition. And that human condition is passed on and on through the generations. We are all trained by those before us to depend on people for happiness, to the people in our lives to fulfill our needs for happiness. And the only way out, which so few of us find, is through a deep connection to God and embracing the fact that we are never disconnected from the source. And happiness lies in living with this power driving our lives so that we can happily serve. Because it's in service to others that we really learn the power of love. We learn the power of connection. And it ultimately provides this deep satisfying connection we seek as human beings, as spiritual beings. And it was hard for me to come into the program and right away hear that I have to start serving others. First, I have to get God in my life, which I objected to, and now I have to serve others, and then I resented being told that. And if you're like me, that's all you've done in your life. I've always presented this codependent false self that did everything everyone else wanted in order to get the love and affection I had craved. And I became what you wanted me to be so that I could belong. And I resented my life and all the people who would not love me as I wanted to be loved. So now I come into the rooms and I find out I have to serve and put others first. 
And that's what I did all my life, and what did it get me? It got me resentment, and it got me addiction. But the good news is that this is the 12th step. The service step is step 12. And what I found is that after I worked the first 11 steps, to the best of my ability, I wanted to serve because I had been changed. I couldn't wait to carry this message because in service, I found happiness. But it's also step 12 for a reason. I have to first get abstinent. And then I have to do all the other steps before this transformation can happen. And in that transformation, I find love and service and I find, I find love and happiness in myself. And the miracle of this program is I changed by working the steps. And I found out that I don't have to hide my true self. And I can have boundaries. And I can still serve others without compromising myself <clears throat> and without being fake and false and without pretending. So the big book uh, starts out with the first three steps, right? That's a little, little triad. So the first three steps tell me, one, I'm not the power. Two, I need the power in order to manage my life. And three, when I have the power, I need to surrender completely to the power to direct my every action in life. So those are the three steps. So I have to have total faith, <clears throat> excuse me, that the power exists. And I have to have total willingness to set aside what I think I know, which means I also have to accept that everything in my life happens exactly as it's supposed to happen for my spiritual growth. And when I get there to that level of acceptance, I can awaken to my purpose. I can awaken to the places God wants me to serve. And when I serve with an open heart, I am connected to the divine. I become one with God and everything falls into place. And it works. It works when I'm there. And it's a big, tall order. And it takes time and it takes practice. And it takes time and practice, especially with the people that are closest to me. My husband's my biggest teacher. And what I really want to say, and anybody who's heard any other podcasts that I've done, you know, knows that my marriage is, has, has been a trial. And my husband's my biggest teacher, but I want to say my husband's my biggest pain in the ass. But that's not true. I know he's in my life to teach me how to learn about love and compassion. And that is God. That is being one with God. Showing up in love and compassion is showing up in divine light. And I like who I am so much more than before when I showed up in self-righteousness and criticism. And it's a tall order because he's a big trigger for my character defects. He triggers me. We, the people who are closest to us trigger us, and we want to go to our character defects and not go to love and compassion. So when I came into these rooms as a compulsive overeater, the only thing I wanted to do was lose weight. That's the reason I showed up. I was fat. I didn't really want to give up the food. I just wanted to know how to control it and still get to have it. And then I learned that I had to give it up. But if I didn't find this power greater than myself, I would just go through a cycle of using personal willpower to control my eating. And eventually and inevitably, I would fail and relapse and have to start over. And so we call this in program the 12-step waltz, doing steps one, two, and three over and over in a pattern because I never really accepted that I lacked the power. 
and that's step one. And I made my own concept of God and failed to expand my connection, and that's step two. And subsequently, since I never really got to God, I really never got to surrender to God. I paid lip service to it, and I really tried to do it. I said the words. I prayed the prayers. I complied with the direction of my sponsor, but I never really put God in charge of everything in my life. So in the early days, I could only sustain with willpower, my power, and it only lasted a period of time, and then I failed. And then I'd start over again with the 12-step waltz, and I'd do one, two, and three over and over. And I never got to the steps that helped me clean up my life and get to the freedom from my self-destructive behavior. And that's four through nine. That's where I clean up my life. So Thomas Keating's work on the human condition takes these 12 steps to another level for me. His work is about abandoning my attachment to self-identification, identification of what I think I need, thinking about how everything affects me, thinking about whether it's good for me, thinking of me first, never putting anyone else first. And the first thing he talks about in this in this uh, human condition is our biological human needs that we're born with. And he puts them into three categories. One, the first is survival and safety. The second is power and control. And the third is affection and esteem. And isn't it interesting that these are the very things that come up in all my phone calls and program, whether I'm making or receiving an outreach call, it's always about something around survival and safety, power and control, or affection and esteem. These are human biological needs that we're born with, and there's nothing wrong with having them. They're normal. But where we go looking for fulfillment of them is the problem. We look in the wrong place. And it's interesting also that our ninth step promises have all of these as a part of them too. We are promised that we will be relieved of our fears around these things. The promises, which are on page 83 and 84, say that we're going to know peace. We won't feel self-pity anymore. We're going to gain interest in others. We're going to lose our selfishness. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. And we will start handling situations that used to baffle us with intuition, which is just another word I use for God, for divine intervention. Intuition, that's another experience of God. And when I pay attention to it and intuition rises in me, then I am experiencing God and I am experiencing the, problem, uh, the, the promises of this program. So in looking at these three categories, safety and survival, power and control, and affection and esteem, Keating says without these basic biological needs being fulfilled, humans die. So it's pretty serious. It's been proven that infants do, who don't get affection and esteem can't function as human beings, and they die. And if we're not fed and sheltered, and we don't have safety and survivability, we die. This is real stuff. And these biological needs for survival, we all have. So we grow up learning from our parents and from society that we are going to get these needs filled by others. And it's true when we're infants, somebody has to feed and shelter us. And when that's threatened, we go to the second category of power and control. We exercise that by screaming out, and then somebody comes to our rescue. And then when we're infants, we feel abandoned and we need affection. We scream again, and somebody holds us and comforts us. So we, the parents, society at large, agree that this is the answer. We are responsible for our children's care and our happiness, and that seems reasonable. 
their babies and they can't fend for us for themselves but what happens and this is the key we build a story as we grow up someone else is responsible for my happiness and we build what Keating calls emotional programs for happiness around getting these normal biological needs met by others so let me say that again we build emotional programs for happiness that set rules for getting these normal biological needs met by others so we set ourselves up for failure at a very young age because at some point we're supposed to grow up and be responsible for our own happiness but no one showed us how and why didn't they show us how because no one showed them how we all agree that others should be making us happy and generation after generation we repeat a pattern that someone else is responsible for my happiness we all have these emotional programs for happiness. We created an infancy and we kept growing it. And we all expect that from each other. And that's why the divorce rate is 50%, more than 50%. Yeah, because I went looking for Prince Charming to, for, to, to rescue me and to fulfill my every need. And he seemed to do that for a time. And then the honeymoon's over and he wants me to meet his emotional programs for happiness. And I'm like, what? You're here to make me happy. This isn't about what you want. This is about me. And that's exactly what happened in my marriage. And I picked a guy that was pretty compliant, and he gave me the attention I needed and wanted and craved for a long time. But I'm an addict, and I want more, and I want more. And eventually he got sick of not having his own needs met. And sometimes it's still a struggle because I can still be a self-righteous and selfish and 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 anything you know i can still show up that way with my husband even in recovery but that's why we have a 10th step so that i can continue to examine my motives and my actions toward people toward my husband and ask god to change me because he's not responsible for my happiness and so then i move into the power and control phase when he's not giving me what i think he owes me and I start screaming. And unlike when I was an infant, he's not coming running to make me happy. He now resists and he shuts down. So then I go to more power and I become more controlling. And I rage until he succumbs. This was my marriage before recovery. And we go through several years of this, me holding him hostage with my rage until finally he's completely shut down and only obeying when he has to. But he doesn't actually behave as I want him to. So now I'm wanting more. Why? Because I'm an addict and nothing is ever enough. And why? Because I have these biological needs that I was trained to get fulfilled by others. And then when my husband that I'm holding responsible for my happiness stops playing, I go to this third category of affection and esteem. And I blame him because I don't feel love and admire, admired by him. And now I'm lonely. And I need to go find another maid. I need to get divorced and find another rescue. Or I have to go find someone else just to make me feel better and make me happy. And I'm a victim the whole time because it's my emotional programs for happiness that say it's his job to fix me and make me happy. And the solution to this problem is just the same. Keating says it, the big book says it, and I'm sure there are many, many spiritual programs that say it it's about freeing myself from the attachment to getting my needs met by human beings and instead 
turning toward this ultimate power, this power that is with me at all times, this God that cannot abandon me because it is ultimate reality. It is everything. The big book tells us in chapter four in We Agnostics that, and this is the quote, we have to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or God is nothing. God is the ultimate reality. God's always here. God's always available. God's always loving and compassionate and forgiving. And that's the power we need to find. God only seems to be gone when I'm in control, when I'm in self-reliance, when I become the power through my self-absorption, when I escape into my false self, the self that says that I'm in charge and I have to do something to control this situation so I can get what I need. And when I'm there, I can't feel the power of God because I pushed God out. So then I believe God abandoned me. But freedom is in becoming one with this reality, one with higher power, one with love, whatever you want to call God, tapping in and united and willing myself to become one with the power. On page 85 of the big book, it says, how can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. So exercising our willpower along the lines of aligning my will with God's will is that instruction in the big book. Because if I allow the power to work through me, then I'm just the arms and legs and the voice of the power in the human world. And when I become liberated from my attachments to myself, from my attachments to my biological needs, from my attachment to my emotional programs for happiness, then I come from my full divine self. And that's freedom. And that's happiness. And the how part of it is, how do I start? I start by becoming abstinent. So I have to have the clarity of mind to do the steps, which leads me to this divine connection with higher power. And the how part of it is, how do I do this? I have to do this every day. I don't just work the steps once and say, okay, I'm done with it, and now what? And I don't work the steps all the way through and then start over and work the steps all the way through. Some people do it that way. There's nothing wrong with doing it that way. I am working the steps every day as stuff comes up. Sometimes I'm working a step 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 and sometimes I'm working a fourth step. Sometimes I'm just sitting and doing steps one, two, and three and making sure that my connection is still there and I'm surrendered. So I continue to enlarge my spiritual life through connection to this power and service to others by carrying the message also. So what does it mean to look for eggs in the hardware store? The title of this talk. I get a lot of calls from people who are married because my marriage is ripe with opportunities to grow spiritually. And before my program, my husband was my solution to my loneliness. Getting married was gonna fill my emotional programs for happiness, especially the ones around self-esteem and affection which it turns out are presently still pretty big challenge for me. And I get so many opportunities to look at this area in my marriage. And I'm not cured. I have to work this every day. So in my fourth step, I did a lot of discovery work on the core belief that I have, which is part of where my emotional programs for happiness come from. I 
This core belief guides everything I think about. It drives these emotional programs for happiness. What I discovered in that is that my core belief is I don't matter. That's my first reaction to everything. And it's what, you know, my first reaction is, does it confirm that this belief is true? And I'm always looking to make sure that this belief is true. But now that I know that this belief exists, I can look at it as the lie that I tell myself. But before my first fourth step, I wasn't conscious of this. So I responded in my mind to everything my husband did as, see, I don't matter because if I mattered, he would not do fill in the blank. So I was always looking to him to fulfill that biological need for affection and esteem. Put me on a pedestal. Make me feel worthy. But he was never going to be able to do it because he can't change a core belief in me. Only higher power can change me. And I was going to my husband for that. And he was never going to be able to make me happy. It was never going to be enough. And I controlled him and I beat him up and I looked for him to be that person who would make me matter. And when he fell out of line, I raged at him and I made him go to therapy and he withdrew it more. And there was nothing he could do to make me believe I mattered. There was nothing he could do to make me feel I deserved love. Yet I held him hostage and he tried because I married someone who also believed it was his responsibility to make me happy because we all grow up with that agreement. It's all ingrained in us. And then he just gave up. His life was miserable. And he withdrew more and more. He didn't possess the ability to fill these biological needs. No human being can fill that need. And if he happened to get it right once in a while and make me feel special, then another one pops up and my emotional programs for happiness just demanded more and more because I don't really buy into saying his matter because my Core belief is that I don't matter. And my ego is going to do everything to confirm that that belief is true. That's part of my human nature. I believe the stories my mind creates. And I look for evidence to support the lies I tell myself. And that's my disease. And when I look back over my program over the last seven years and I think in terms of this new information about these emotional programs for happiness that I create and these biological needs that I'm looking for others to fulfill, I can see early on, I was just in survival mode. I came in the rooms, I was beaten, my weight and my eating were out of control. I couldn't walk up and down stairs without sidestepping. My marriage was in jeopardy. We had five-year-old twins and we were talking about divorce. And I was not safe. My marriage was not safe. I was a mess. And I was living in the chaos of this first category of survival and safety, not knowing how to get out, just knowing I was broken and terrified. And I just wanted to get my life under control. I didn't want to get a divorce, but I saw no other way out. I believed my hus husband was the, was the problem. And if he didn't change, I couldn't stay with him. I was very much in the power we had been married 10 years, and he was just beaten. So the first three steps showed me that I was trying to be the power. I was trying to play God. And when it didn't work, food and booze were my solution to my emotional programs for happiness. And in step one, I accept that I'm beaten. But I didn't want to let go of the notion that I had to change, not him. So in step two, I came to believe that there's this power that's not me. 
And I had to work this over and over, and it was a long time, and it was two relapses before I finally found a relationship with higher power, and I began to pay attention to the experience of God in my life. And I had to do a lot of work letting go of my past relationship with a false God. But I just kept doing the practice, and I would pray over and over, and I would say, God, I don't know what you are. I don't know, but I'm willing. Please reveal yourself to me. And that's what I said over and over. I don't have to know. I don't have to have a rigid understanding of God. And then came the second category, power and control. And before my recovery, my solution was to be the power over my husband and control his every move. And mostly I did this with rage. And then I went through the steps and I learned about all the ways I was controlling everything. And when someone stepped out of line, I raged and I scared them into submission and I became the power. So the steps got me through that control piece. And when I did my inventory and really saw how I was depending on others for my ease and comfort and happiness and controlling them when they didn't, a lot of freedom came because God changed me. I stopped raging and that felt pretty recovered. But then I still went through a time when I was controlling with kind coercion, you know, that's what I call it. Because on page 61 in the big book, you know, when it's talking about the actor who's always trying to be in control, and it says, in trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind and considerate and patient and generous. But I was still controlling, even though I wasn't screaming. But it was a step up from rage, so it felt recovered but I was still in charge and still going to get my husband to fulfill my emotional programs for happiness through this kind coercion. So that needed work. It still needed work even though I made progress, but I made great progress. And I only realized recently that this third category of biological needs is the need for affection and esteem. And it's still my weakest area. I thought for a long time that it wasn't, an issue for me at all because I'm affectionate and I have a big loving personality and I thought I had this area satisfied in my life. But my big outgoing personality can sometimes be a cover to my fear of intimacy and my codependency because I want people to like me. So I become who I think you want me to be. I can use it to cover my lack of self-esteem and my lack of self-worth. And I still have this belief hanging out back there that can come up that says I don't matter. And I know when it's fake. I can feel my need to get recognition from you. I can feel when I'm looking to you to make me feel special. And I can feel when I want you to admire me because I forget The source of my esteem is not you. You cannot make me feel whole. You are a momentary solution just like sugar was. And higher power is the only place of real and permanent esteem and affection. And I don't need it from people if I have this connection with higher higher power. So, you know, I really love doing the last special edition of the year because (laughs) each year so much comes up at Christmas time. And this year we had seven extra people in our our little house. We have a little 2,000 square foot ranch house with a basement. And I had so much opportunity to practice this work. Um, First it started with my husband over the holidays was working. He's a contractor. And the job he was on ran over. The client added some stuff and it was only supposed to take a few days. It took an extra 20 days. And so he started 20 days late 
on his other project that he had lined up and he only had a couple of weeks to get a bathroom done before the holidays, before Christmas and, and the client really needed it. And so he was working day and night and weekends and I was left to find all the places in our house for seven extra people to sleep. We had 11 people in the house. I was left to get everything ready to do all of the Christmas shopping, buy all the presents, do the food shopping, and also to run my own business. I have my own business. And I was constantly in the pause. And all of my programs for happiness were triggered. And I, my head was going crazy. The first thing was safety was triggered because I was really afraid that my husband Chris was going to still be working on Christmas Eve. And Christmas Eve is a really important spiritual day in my family tradition. I was in fear that he would dismiss me and the boys and my family that was here and not be present to us and to put his work ahead of us. And that's a pattern in our relationship because he didn't have the same tradition for Christmas Eve. That was a shopping day. And so it triggered my belief that I don't matter. And that affects my need for affection and esteem. And I wanted to take control and tell him how to get things done and what to say to the client. And I kept catching myself offering advice with good intention, which is none of my business. But it was still me trying to control the situation so I would not be uncomfortable with my programs for happiness being disrupted by these circumstances. And something like this is always showing up in my life. It's not a pattern only in my life. It is life. It's a pattern in all our lives. Life's, life is always throwing curveballs at my plan because I want to be the power. I want to be in charge. I want to make this about my husband and I want to take control and make him present to cater to my needs for self-esteem and affection. I want, him to make, I, I want him to make me feel like I matter. But there's always going to be something hanging out there that is triggering my emotional programs for happiness as long as I am looking to someone besides this higher power to fill my needs, to fill those needs for security, control, and esteem. And in this case, I was able to pause. I wrote a letter to God, which always is what I start with, on my 10th step to clarify my resentment or fear and to get direction. And I realized I was just missing my husband over the holidays and he wasn't staying away on purpose as my ego was telling me. He was missing us too and he was missing out on all the fun things we were doing as a family. And when I could see that, only through going to God and not staying attached to my self-centered needs, only then could I find compassion and love for him. And it just rises up. Because that divine love rises up in me when I'm connected to this power. And the truth is, this is all just triggers. And I have a choice. And I can make this about my husband needing to change so I can be happy, which only lasts until the next time something upsets my equilibrium. Or I can go to God in acceptance of the life I inhabit. And I can find a connection to the source that will fulfill all my needs every time. And that's the connection that we're talking about. Love rising up in me, compassion rising up in me, is divine presence in me. That is God living in me, through me. And rather than bitching at my husband, I was able to hug him and ask him if there was anything I could do to help him get through. 
And it could have been ugly. It could have been a repeat of past Christmases when I blamed Chris for my unhappiness and my loneliness because I believed I didn't matter and it was his fault. And looking for my husband to fill the void is looking for eggs at the hardware store. And faith is believing in God's goodness even when I'm not feeling it. When I feel God has disappeared, when I don't feel the connection, to me, feeling used to be everything. And I'm very sensitive, and I experience my life through feelings. I trust my feelings. I trust my gut. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think a lot of us do it. But what I'm realizing is there's so much farther than I can go. I have relied too much on my feelings to direct my life. Just trusting my feelings falls short of a divine spiritual life. So when I don't feel God, I feel abandoned. And it's because the only thing I'm relying on myself is my feelings and not faith. And what makes me believe God has abandoned me is that usually something bad has just happened and it upsets my emotional programs for happiness and I feel abandoned. But this divine presence cannot go away. It's the essence of who I am. It lives in me. It's the center of me. The unpleasant or bad things that happen may be real, they may be imagined, or I may not yet understand why they happen, but they're all there for my spiritual growth, to see how I can respond to them, to see if I can go to God or if I succumb to self-reliance, to control, to see if I can come from love in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the moment of agitation or disappointment or fear. And when I choose these emotional programs for happiness over God, I abandon God, not the other way around. And I get a lot of calls about how to connect to God. People tell me they're following their program and they're doing rituals and they're saying prayers and they're doing nightly reviews and 10 steps and they don't feel any closer to God and they don't feel the connection. And they ask me how I keep God in my life. And the answer to that is that I simply do not ever buy into the notion that God ever leaves. I believe that when the hard times come, I must remind myself that these dark times are for my spiritual growth to see if I can find love and compassion when I'm triggered, when I'm triggered around these issues of safety and control and esteem, and I want you to fix that. Can I turn to God? I can only turn to God if I, if I believe God never leaves. I don't buy into the notion that God ever leaves. And I'm still looking for eggs at the hardware store if I'm looking for my husband to cater to me to make me feel better. better. That behavior is like going to sugar in the past to make me feel better when my emotional programs are making demands. The sugar won't satisfy past a moment or two, and the husband catering to my needs won't really do it either because I'll just want more. It's part of my disease, and it's never enough. I have to always know God is there in the hard times and turn toward God. I have to remember that it's not the divine who has abandoned me. It is I who have abandoned God in my lack of faith and in my reliance on false power, my own power, to get my needs met. The divine presence doesn't leave. I'm blinded by feelings, which I just give too much power to. And then I choose food or rage or some other emotional reaction pre-programmed in me that leads me down the wrong path where freedom and happiness cannot be found, looking for eggs at the hardware store. So 
getting into more nuts and bolts, you know, what's the how? Initially, all I could do was stuff a sock in it and hide in the bathroom when I was triggered. And that's the best I could do. I was just trying to stop myself from reacting and raging. I was really trying to stop myself from having to do an amend for yelling at my husband. And then I learned to see my part in the 10th step. I learned to do a solid 10th step. See where I was selfish. See how my behavior was attention-seeking. See what I was trying to get from the other person and what lies I believed and where there was fear. And then I learned to forgive myself. I learned to forgive myself for being human. I learned to ask for forgiveness when I didn't go to God, but acted out on selfishness and hurt someone. And today I take it a step further. And in the big book, where I'm instructed to pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for an intuitive thought or action, I'm asking myself, which of my emotional programs for happiness are inhibiting my spiritual growth? What do I think is being threatened? Because right before I pause, I believe I'm separate from God. I believe I've been abandoned. And this thing that is happening to me is happening to me, and I have to take control of the situation and protect myself because I believe my protection has abandoned me. So what's being threatened, I ask myself. Is it survival, security, power, control, affection, esteem? There's something always attached to my source of agitation. <clears throat> then I do a 10th step. And then I ask God to help me get to the truth over my feelings. And if I stop and do the work, if I pause and ask for help, I get there. But if I just go after the feeling of wanting to feel better now, I'm going to attack and blame and then make an amendment later. And I'm not going to be changed. I'm not going to change a thing. And it's not okay for me to keep acting out on my character defects of rage and self-righteousness or controlling my husband and then be okay to make an amend later. And I'm not perfect. Sometimes I fail and I have to make amends. So it's not to say I don't want to make amends. It's just I want to stop and pause and go to God. Because when I do this and I rage and then I know I can make an amend later, I believe I'm recovered. But the key here for me is to pause, ask for help, and go to the source of my happiness. Only God can make that change in me. And that's what brings freedom and happiness. But I make mistakes. I'm not perfect at this. I make mistakes all the time. And that's why we have that 10th step to correct when we make mistakes and we act out. <clears throat> and the most important thing for me is to know that this is one day at a time. I have good days and I have bad days. I'm not great at this. Most days I'm willing to work and some days I'm not. I just don't. I abandon God and I have a bad day. It happens and I accept that I'm a human being and I'm never going to get this perfectly. And I accept that it's okay with my higher power too. God doesn't leave me. Even when I'm at my ugliest, even when I'm a total bitch, I am loved and I am protected by this power at all times. I know this and I experience this. But we're not supposed to be perfect. We are simply instructed to enlarge our spiritual life each day to the best of our ability. And that means coming from love and compassion. And when I do that, I am living, living as God wants me to. And I have an instruction man manual for all of this. It's called the Big Book. It's called the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's all in there. I'm not special. Everyone can have what I have. 
And there are other teachers who helped me along the way to learn more about the ways I can connect to God. And I practice every day. I build the muscle every day. And that's what recovery is all about, one day at a time. Do this one day at a time, enlarge my spiritual life, do the best I can, and make amends when I fail. Because all those things are going to happen. So that's all I have to share, and I'm really so grateful to have this time this morning. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you, Marie. Marie J. from Colorado. Thanks again, you know, for thoroughly explaining your experience, strength, and hope on source of fulfillment in recovery for you. I was going to mention a little bit more, but, you know, it is no human power. It absolutely is no human power, and we find all the time how we're misdirected, and so you explained that very, very beautifully. Thank you again. We will ask Marie for her contact information at the conclusion of this meeting, so stick around for that. And the lines are now open for questions. If you have a question for Marie, please unmute your phone by pressing star 1 on your phone keypad. Offer your first name and the first letter of your last name. Once you've asked your question, would you please press star 1 again to remute your line immediately. Who would like to ask Marie a question this morning about the presentation on, on higher power? Ginger C. Hi, I'm Lynn. Courtney I have M. Ginger C. Courtney M. Sherry. Diane Sorry. Lynn. Somebody Lynn. Diane Lynn. Diane Lynn. And Sherry. Sherry, what's the first initial of your last name? S. S like Sam? Correct. Great. Thanks so much. Anyone else? Well, so far I have Ginger C, Courtney M, Sherry S, and Diane Lynn. If everyone else besides Ginger C would press star one on their phone keypad, that will give us a nice quiet recording, and then I'll call you up and you can unmute again at that time. Hi, Ginger, your question please for Marie. Go ahead, Ginger. Okay, good morning. Thank you for your service. And Marie, wow, beautiful, beautiful share this morning. And a lot to chew on and think about. And um, so I'm just going to turn to the book. Page 84 says that our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And then on 53, and you mentioned it in your talk, God is everything or God is nothing. And what is our choice to be? So you mentioned while you were speaking, can I turn to God? And I think that's so powerful. You know, that's the most important piece. Can I even turn to this God? Do I have a God? Um, but how do you remember to go to God, especially like you had brought up in the talk when these emotions are really dominating and that's all you're thinking about, you know, you're stuck in this feeling state. How do you remember to go to God in that moment? Because I don't think 10 step after 10 step after 10 step is really what we're after. I think it's more about that connection to remember that pause and to take that step back and reconsent. And I'm just curious how you do that. Thank you. Thanks, Ginger. I love you to pieces. Um, how do I remember to go to God? You know, it really comes down to this daily practice for me because it's just like anything. If I'm a runner, I run, my muscles get built. If I am a singer, I practice every, every day to sing, and, and, it, and it, it builds this memory in me. It builds muscle memory, body memory. And so if I'm in prayer and meditation, if I'm 
having conversations with God. I write a letter to God every day. I make a gratitude list every day. My gratitude list is also called a what's going right list because I might be upset that my husband isn't doing something, but he has done this one thing. So that's what goes on my grat gratitude list. Here's what's going right. This got done. And, and this is progress that is happening in my life. I could focus on the negative or I could focus on the positive. So I can focus... What I focus on is what is going to be alive in me. And so the daily practice of building the faith muscle, building the connection muscle, being in communication with God. God for me is, is everywhere and in every, every place that I am. So at any moment during the day, I can turn and say, yo, God, what's going on? Let's talk about this. Because something's going on in me, and, and it may not be this huge emotional trigger. There just may be a conversation I need to have with God. And if I'm doing that, I'm building this practice that God is never anywhere except right here next to me, connected to my hip. And so remembering to go to God just becomes a practice. And if I do it sometimes, then I'm going to remember sometimes. If I'm doing it all the time, then when I get upset, you know, the book instructs us to pause. So I'm in this conversation with my husband. I'm getting upset. And because I practice the pause, because I practice that daily in my prayer meditation and my letters to God, I remember and sometimes I want to react and I want to shout out, but I just stuff a socket and, and excuse myself and go to the bathroom. And I can sit on the edge of the tub for 10 minutes with a sock in my mouth going, okay, you're really upset. You're really upset. You can go to God or you can go to your emotional programs for happiness. Either one is fine, but you're, where are you going to get happiness? Not from going and turning your husband into the, into the, the perpetrator. So, it's a practice. It's a daily practice. And if I do it every day, then I'm going to have it more. It's going to be more present in my life. If I exercise every day, I'm going to have a better body. If I sing every day, I'm going to be a better singer. If I practice the connection of being with God every day, then I'm going to have a better relationship. Thanks, Ginger. Thank you for the question, Ginger C. Courtney M., your question, please. And then, Sherry, it'll be your turn next if you want to get ready. Hi, Courtney. Want to press star one, Courtney? Well, Marie, let's just move on in the interest of time, and we'll get back to Courtney. Sherry, Sherry, ask yes, your I'm question, sorry, please, for Marie. I'm sorry. Oh, there you are. Okay. Technical difficulties there. Uh, yes, yeah. ma'am. Uh, first of all, thank you so much, everybody, for your service today. That's share was, oh my gosh, it hit me in so many ways. Um, I, uh, I am married 10 years this year, actually. And um, I have found myself doing so many of the things that you mentioned uh, with, with putting that importance and that, all that pressure on my husband's shoulders. I've done it many, many, many times. Um, one of the things that, that I learned to do was I started writing him a little thank you note every morning just to kind of get myself out of my resentment. Um, sometimes it's as simple as thanks for taking out the garbage, <laughs> but I just got to find that thing. Like you mentioned, that's going right. So I'm, I'm curious about what other tools you might be using to help you shift gears when besides the, you know, 
stuff in a sock in it. <laughs> what other tools do you find are helpful in your relationships to, to shift gears from that space of resentment and expectation to, you know, gratitude and love? Thank you, Courtney. Great question. Um, one of the things that is really important to me is my, um, my relationship ideal. Um, we, you know, we're, we have that instruction in the big book to, to write ideals for who we want to be in the world. And I have, I did not write mine. Someone wrote one that I absolutely fell in love with and wanted to, wanted to have that same relationship and I borrowed it. And I read it very often out loud. It's pinned up on my bulletin board that is in front of my face in my office. And it's big. And it's my relationship ideal, how I want to be in that relationship with my husband. And I read that. I'm like, oh, man. When I I read that, I'm like, I'm never going to be these things. I'm never going to be all these things. But I read it. Again, it's a practice. Who do I want to be? And I read it out loud, and I give it to God. And I'm like, God, I really want to be all these things. But, boy, this just sounds like Superwoman. This is Wonder Woman here because I just don't think I can do it. But I trust and have faith that God will give me what I need and, and, and help me show up in that relationship in a healthy way. So practice, practice, practice. So I love the idea of your, your thank you note to your husband. You know, those are great things. Like every day I get up and I, in my gratitude list, every morning I write that gratitude list and my husband, I write 10 things and I write a paragraph on each one. I don't just write words. For me to describe and to say, God, this is why I'm grateful for this. This is what this is doing in my life. So I write a paragraph on each of the things that I'm grateful for. And my husband is at least three of the 10 things that I write. And I write out why. Why is it that I'm grateful about my husband in this way? And I may have 10 other things sitting on the sidelines that I wish he would do or that I wish he would be, but I focus on what's going right. Thanks for your question. Thank you, Courtney, for your question. Sherry, ask your question. And then Diane Lynn will get ready after you. Hi, Sherry. Your question, please. Hi. Hi. This is Sherry S. Recovered from Massachusetts. It was so good to hear you this morning, Marie. Um, I could I could so relate, but I'm going to get to my question. Um, But one thing, I am so grateful that you are able to continue to live in harmony with your relationship with your husband, whereas I divorced my husband 10 years ago because he did not fill the hole. So, um, you know, and I didn't didn't have God in my life or or the big book at that time. So that is just awesome that you can do this now with him. And I... um, I wanted to ask you a question because I am learning daily. Like you said, it's like um, learning to, uh, you know, any kind of habit that you want to get good at, so you do it every day. Um, And I sometimes have multiple 10 steps during the day. Um, Do you do your, my question is, do you do your 10 steps throughout the day? I know that some people wait until the end of the day. That didn't work for me because I ate donuts. So um, I have to do it on the spot, which they call on the spot, check inventory, 
walking around inventory, and I believe, you know, that's true. But exactly, I'm learning to pause, go to God, and then do a 10-step. And um, I do that sometimes, multiple times throughout the day. Is that how you do it? Like when you're with your family or you're on vacation or you're at work, do you do it right away? Do you make a call? I, I do it with a, an app on my phone. I send it to my sponsor. But is this something that you practice throughout the day as far as like on the spot? That's my question. Thanks, Sherry. Um, I, I do, I, I really try to pay attention and do things as they come up. And I, I am always checking in with my feelings. What's going on with my feelings? What's going on? Do I have emotional programs up that are, that are not getting satisfied? Am I feeling, if I feel physically uncomfortable, you know, I'm like, oh, what's this physical discomfort? Oh, it's emotional because I'm mad at whatever. And I do try to do them immediately. And sometimes I can do it really quick. I can jot a few words down and I can, you know, go through the columns really fast and get to it. Sometimes I can make a phone call right away and sometimes I can't. So I do what I can. I connect to God. I do it. And then sometimes I have to follow up later with a phone call. Or I might get an outreach call, pick up the call and listen to whatever that person needs and then generally people say, is there anything I can help you with? And I go, yeah, I kind of got this 10th step I need to do. Can I, can I give it to you? So I get calls every day, and I'm on the phone every day with someone. So when I am able to have that call, sometimes, and sometimes I do it with my sponsees. We're you know, always in communication. And so I just look for every opportunity. But yes, I do try to address them as soon as they come up. That's what the big book tells us to do. I mean, practical life doesn't always allow that. Sometimes I'm with clients. So we do it when we can. Um, if I can't do it right then, I might jot on a sticky note what my resentment is so that I remember when I'm done with whatever my appointment is, I can walk away and go, oh yeah, what was it that I needed to, to process? What was it that I needed to do a 10 step on? And I'll just pull that sticky note. I just stick it in my calendar and, and I do it later. Thanks for your question, Sherry. Thanks so much, Sherry, for your question. Diane Lynn, your question, please. And if you have an initial, first initial of your last name, I'd like to have that too, if you wouldn't mind. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yeah, loud and clear. Oh, great. It's Diane Lynn. I'm a uh, grateful alcoholic. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much, Yomer. Um, I, I wanted to say that I think you and I probably have similar patterns of emotional uh, happiness growing up as sisters. And um, I didn't know that you also crossed out the letters God in your big book. I did exactly the same thing. And I often get stuck on that line Thy will not mine be done. And uh, in connecting to your higher power, I heard you say a lot of words that I really liked. Love, compassion, intuition. I loved those. Um, and then you mentioned, if, if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned feelings and not relying on your feelings for a connection, for that God connection, but rather faith. And I also struggled with that word faith, and I'm hoping that maybe you could talk a bit more on what faith is and how do you get that? Hmm. 
Okay, thanks, Diane Lynn. Um, well, faith is believing when there's no proof for me. You know, it's no, knowing that, like this idea of relying on feelings, <clears throat> feelings are important. Feelings do drive a lot of what we do, but relying solely on feelings gets me only so far and it gets me more into this how can I get my feeling resolved instead of how can I where's the solution to my life to bring me fulfillment and happiness and so feelings start the process but faith in a higher power, believing that God is there regardless, never, never buying into the notion that God isn't present. That's faith because I don't have any proof. Stephen Hawking has an opinion about God not being there and no existence of God. I have my experience that is my proof, but there is no scientific evidence of whether or not God is real. All I have is my experience. And faith is trusting that experience, trusting that my experience is real and the things that are happening to me through God are real and recovery that I have is not of me, it is of God because for 50 years I didn't have recovery and now I do. For 50 years I couldn't manage my life and now I can, and that's not me. And faith is knowing that that's not me, that that is this power that is greater than me. So that's all the evidence I need. And I don't have to know, you know, I, I, I understand getting triggered by the words, thy will be done, you know, because it, it feels so Catholic to me. It feels so church church oriented and, and, and pushed on me. And not everybody has that experience of the Catholic church. It just happened to be my, my experience. And, and so having those old words from my old life and my old childhood, I have to separate myself from those because thy will be done just means, God, I want to live as a loving and compassionate person. That is thy will for me. And I want that to be done. And I can't do it on my own because I have these emotions that want to be taken care of. And so show me the way to live in love and compassion. That's what thy will be done means. Show me the way to live in love and compassion. And give me the faith to trust that when I have an intuitive thought and an intuitive action to take, that comes from you. You're giving me this, God, to take this action to become a more loving and compassionate person. But I got to separate myself from the old junk that I had in my head. Thanks, Diane Lynn. Thank you, Diane Lynn, for your question. Um, Mary Lee R. from Oregon, your question, and then after Mary Lee's, we'll open it up for a few more. Mary Lee R. Good morning, Ms. Melanie. Can you hear me? Yes. Mary Lee, go ahead, loud and clear. We'll let you know, though. Okay, the Thanks. meeting. <laughs> Good morning, Melanie. Thank you, thank you. And wow. Um, 
I, I love that analogy of stuffing a sock in your mouth in the bathroom. For me, um, I I do the breathing. And my question was about what do you say about the expression you have to feel to heal, but you have answered that in so many different and precious and delightful ways. Um, but if you have any more to say on it, um, I would appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. Great. Thank you, Mary Lee. Um, you know, I don't want to neg- negate at all or dismiss feelings. I want to be clear about that. Feelings are important. Feelings are very important. And we do have to feel. we got to go through all this stuff. And there's a whole lot of feeling that we have to process. And we do have to feel to heal. I'm just saying, I, I lived my life and, and everything was driven by feelings. I never got past my feelings. I never got to faith. And so faith on top of feelings helps to inform my path to God. Because if I just go with feelings, then I just want to resolve my feelings. And that's an important part of this path, too. We've got to look at our feelings. We've got to get through this stuff. We've got to do our fourth steps. And we've got to get this crap out of our system. And it all rises up in us as feelings. So it's really important. But what I've learned that in the spiritual process, in this path to God, I have to add faith to that. Because Feelings are not enough to get me there. Feelings drive too much of my emotional programs for happiness. They drive me to blame others and to be a victim. And when I get recovery, I stop blaming others and stop being a victim, and I learn to take responsibility for myself and my feelings. But then I have to build with faith. I have to trust that Even when I don't feel God, God is there. Even when I don't feel like doing the work, I need to do it because faith says I need to do this work in order to stay connected to this power. And if I don't stay connected to this power, I'm going to go back to living my life as a victim. So I hope that helps to clarify Feelings are very important, and I do not want to say that we shouldn't be feeling our feelings. That's not at all where I'm going. It's just we need to add faith to our feelings as well. Thanks. Thank you, Mary Lee R. I'm going to open up again for a few more questions this morning of Marie J. on the presentation that she had today. If you give me your first name, the first initial of your last name, we can put you in line. Kathy W. Jody H. Jody E. Kathy W. T is in Tom. Okay, thanks, Nancy. And then I heard Jody E. Maura and somebody else. Maura. Loretta H. Loretta H. Gen Z. Gen Z. Anyone else? This will be our last call. We'll take that as all minds are clear with questions. Okay, so we have Marla W. Excuse me, Melanie, Marla S. Marla S. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Uh So we have Kathy W., Nancy T., Jody E., Maura Z., Loretta H., Jen Z., and Marla S. 
Kathy W., you're first. Your question for now. Hi there. Can you hear me? I can, loud and clear. We'll let you know. Go ahead with your question, Kathy. Oh, she's not quite sure, I think, that we can hear her. Just give her a second. Kathy, you want to press star one again real quick? Hi, this is Kathy. May I be heard? There you go. Loud and clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry question, for all the repeats. Yes, this is my first time sharing. Hi, my name is Kathy. Um, I really liked your talk a lot. Um, I liked, um, I connected a lot with the um, the topics regarding your husband and how um, I see a lot of similarities in how I've treated my husband over the years. So um, I, I too have been working and I'm doing like, I'm on my 10th step now and, I'm, and I made an amends to him and I'm making good progress. Um, and in addition to the great suggestions that you had, um, I'm just wondering, uh, like, can you share on other things that you've done, like, um, like actively doing things to um, become closer? Like my husband likes to do like a lot more, like go out and listen to live music and do a lot more. Like I'm more of a homebody, you know, so a lot of times um, our interests are different, you know, and I'm, and I'm challenged and, and, and my sponsor and other people have told me that like I should do things even though I'm not, I don't really want to go out at night, you know, but um, if you could share on that, you know, in addition to, you know, learning more respectful ways to talk to him, but other ways to nurture the relationship um, by, you know, doing physical things, you know, doing activities. Thank you. Uh, Kathy, thanks for that. Um, I, I too am a homebody, so I'm a little I'm a little uh, light on on uh, physical activity things. But I will say that we have what what my husband and I do is we actually for seven six or seven years now been having um, a morning meeting, and we run it kind of like a twelve step meeting where we each get to come to the meeting and share our experience of what's going on in our lives, but we're not allowed to use the word you. We're not allowed to blame. We're only allowed to talk about our, our feelings and what's going on and if there are issues that we need to negotiate in the family and stuff like that. And we each take turns. We take five minutes, and then the other person is not allowed to make comments on the first person's share. And then it, that's how it goes. So we get to communicate in a safe environment almost like a meeting, like we're not allowed to cross-talk. We're not allowed to address their issues. We're only allowed to listen to each other. And that has really connected us. And we do it once or twice a week in the morning, early in the morning before the kids are out of bed. And, you know, sometimes it's not as structured and we're just being with each other, having coffee and visiting. And sometimes it's addressing issues or if there has been an upset in us from the night before that hasn't been cleared up. And that has really brought us together, taking that time and just knowing that it's a safe environment. And I treat it just like a meeting so that I don't make a mistake and crosstalk and tell him how he should live his life. Um, our interests are very different too, but we have found a couple of things that we enjoy doing together and we do it. We have 12-year-old twins, so we, are, we spend more time at home than we do. We'd like to do more 
once a week dating, but we don't always get to that. So in terms of that, I mean, my belief is, is I need to do some things for him and he needs to do some things for me. And we have to negotiate that and we can negotiate that in our morning meetings. So, and, and we also in those morning meetings take books and we read books together and we share on the, and they're self-help books, you know, and they're marriage books and stuff like that. And we, we read a page and then we share on what that page means in our lives. And it's just that communication that really tends to bring us more together. And then we do what we can to actually physically go out, but I'm afraid I'm not very good at that either. Thanks for your question. No, thanks. That was helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy W. Nancy T, star one, please. Your question is now. And then Jody E will come thanks. after you. Great. Thanks, Melanie. And thanks, Marie, for your talk. Hello, my friend. So um, I I was very intrigued by many, many parts of your talk. So thank you. It was very timely for me. I recently found myself in relapse again after being recovered for a period of time. And I realized, of course, now that the relapse happened long before I ever picked up the first bite. And it's by, you know, what I, what I diagnosed. I being the operative word there is letting up on 10 and 11. I, it, this is my pattern. I, every time I get complacent, I get lazy and I, I hate to even say this word, but it's true. It almost gets boring and rote to me because I'm doing the same prayers and the same practices. And I was recently talking to a very good, um, very, um, one of my strong mentors in this program suggested that rather than just a 10 and 11 problem, it's also a step two problem that somewhere in my belief system, there is a block that's preventing me from developing this intimate personal relationship with my higher power, such as I might have with a good friend. I have this inability, it seems, to talk with God like I talk with a close friend. I, I'm missing that intimacy and that personalization of it. And my problem is I'm unaware of what that block might be. And I was wondering if you might have any suggestions for what I might do to try to discover what that block is. Um, anyway, that's my question. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Nancy, that is such a good question. And uh, I really appreciated it. Um, I, too, when I had my last relapse, discovered it was step two. We went back. We started over. And... Um, I was not having that solid, intimate relationship with God because, because I was still in charge of, I, I, I had created God in my mind. I had created, God was in a box. Here's what God is and here's what God isn't. And I was sure of it. So God was my mental creation, my mental construct. And, and until I could get out of that box and start not knowing what God is, then I, I couldn't be free to have God re be revealed to me. And so what I did, and these are just the exercises I did. You know, I, have, I, I own a sauna. I'm Finnish, and it's a big part of my culture. And I went into my sauna, and I put it up at, uh, I don't know, it was ridiculously hot, 200 degrees or something. And I laid on the top bench, and I didn't drink water. It's kind of like the, the Native American sweat lodge, I think. You know, and I just lay there, and I sweated. I did this six days in a row. And all I did was lay there and say, I don't know. 
I don't know who you are. I don't know what you are. I don't know how to get access to you. And I'm just going to lay here and be willing. I'm just going to be willing to connect. I'm going to be willing to have you reveal yourself to me. And, and I did this day after day, six days in a row, 45 minutes in this, this sweat lodge in my sauna. And, uh, and that was really transformational for me. I also, I write a letter to God every day. It starts, dear God, hey, how's it going? Because here I am once again. And I tell God what's going on in my life. And I say where the upsets are. And I, and I sometimes write out a 10th step. Whatever is revealed to me is what I then write to God about, as if I'm writing a letter to my dad. And I also have a practice every time I get in the car, I turn and I greet God in the passenger seat. And all these little things are about developing this intimacy with God. God is my friend. And I never buy into the notion that God is not present with me at all times. God is sitting at the ping pong table in my garage with me now, giving me the words to voice this, this talk. So, I just practice, it's just those little practice things every day. God is my friend. God is my power. And God is here all the time. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy T., for your question. Jody E., your question for Marie J., and then Maura will come in after you. Good morning, and thank you. This is Jody E. in California. Thank you so much, Marie. Beautiful share. What a powerful uh, testament to the 12 steps and to your determination to make your marriage work, to make your program work. Well, um, you've given us a lot of ideas on how to connect to our higher power, which I appreciate. My question is, um, might there be some cases where a husband is abusive in some way or narcissistic or something, and it might not be wise to uh, to stay in the relationship. Yeah, I guess that's my question. Thank you. Thanks, Jody. You have such a calming voice. You just bring me down to this quiet place. It's lovely. Um, Yes, absolutely. There are, there are reasons to leave a marriage. There are definitely reasons to mar- leave a marriage, and I'm not qualified to even speak to them. And I think that, you know, we, we also get that guidance from God. You know, the point is, is we go to God on all things. And we can learn how to set boundaries in our marriages. And that's work that I also do that's that's not 12-step work. It's about learning how to set boundaries, set boundaries for myself, what I'm, what I'm willing to live with and what I'm not. And those are negotiations that I have in my marriage because it's never all about a roses. And there are, we are so different, my husband and I. And, and so we have, we have learned through some of our other self-help books how to set healthy boundaries, how to come from love and compassion. I still do that within the, the construct of God's in charge. 
God guides me to all things. And if I need to set a boundary, I can do that. And if God guides me to I'm in an abusive relationship, then something that has to be done there too. And, you know, I can't answer that. But of course, we, this, this program is not about laying down and being abused. This program is about going to God and getting the right and proper direction to take action where it's appropriate. And sometimes divorce is the appropriate action to take. Absolutely. Thanks, Jody. Jody, for your question. Maura Z, your question is next, and then we'll go with Loretta H. Good morning. Good morning, Maura. Get the tongue working today. <laughs> Star Thanks, one. Melanie, Laura. for your service. Oh, there you are. Hi. Thank you, Marie J, for your amazing share. Um, I have a question on acceptance. I have done the work repeatedly and have on a couple occasions, three or four occasions, believed I have gotten, I had gotten to a place of acceptance of, of um, you know, um, harms that were done to me in order to make an amends. Um, have discovered recently through a very emotional week and acted out horribly um, from all of these things that I obviously have not completely let go of. And um, so I've got a, a an egg question, but, you know, not the hardware kind. It's how do I let go of the acceptance? How do I, how do I accept these harms that have been done to me? How do I let go of the hurts? Or do I go to God first and ask him to help me with that? Which is it? And, and how do I let go of 40 years of hurts? Um, so that's my question. Um, thank you, Maura. I was so disappointed I didn't get to meet you at the convention. Um, acceptance. Well, you know, I... I have studied Harry Tebow's work also, and Harry Tebow is, uh, he, he was a contemporary, uh, he, in, in the 50s, he, he was a psychologist, but he worked with alcoholism and alcoholics and the big book and all of this. And his work, uh, you know, he has a whole uh, white paper on um, compliance versus acceptance, or I'm sorry, compliance versus surrender. And I thought, his uh, work was really interesting because what he says is we can't get to surrender. We can't let go of, we can't let go of our attachment and give it to God until we have acceptance. And acceptance is merely saying, I, I, this is the life I inhabit. This is the life I inhabit. This was what was given to me and it's for my spiritual growth. So everything that I am given is given to me to grow closer to God, to grow in love, to grow in compassion, and to grow closer to God, to become more like God in the world. And so acceptance is, is the answer. Acceptance is the key to being able to surrender. So when, when I'm in full acceptance of this life is supposed to be happening to me and all these experiences needed to happen to me in order for me to be where I am today in my life, in my program, in my relationship with God. And so if I believe that they were all necessary and that I wouldn't be who I am without them, 
and I fully accept that they were a necessary part of my spiritual growth and I really can get to that, then surrender just rises up because I shift. God shifts me. Now, part of acceptance has to be go to God first. I, I can't always accept, you know, 40 years of abuse. I mean, how do you accept that? I don't know, but I know that it can be. I know we can be free. And it's, it's when I'm attached to my victim and my self-pity around it, that's when I can't get to acceptance. So it's really hard to say because I don't have 40 years of abuse. I don't have that experience. And I'm sure it's really, really hard to get there. But what I do know that I can't fully surrender and let God have it until I fully accept that it is exactly as it was supposed to be and I was supposed to have all these things happen to me in order to get to be the spiritual person I am today. So I hope that helps. Thank you very much, Mara Z, for your question. Loretta H., it's your turn for your question, and Jen Z will follow you. Hi, Loretta. More, hi, good morning, and Marie, thank you so much for your healing message on relationships and uh, the recovery you have. And it's helped me so much. I've been married for 50 years and I'm doing a new four-step on this. But my question is, it's a, I have the same history with the Catholic Church that you do. Um, and I had contempt because of my feelings about things that I thought they did to me. And how did you go about, and if this is an outside issue, you can text me or whatever. How did you go about making amends? Did you go through a confession or did you make an appointment with a priest or how did you um, approach the amends to actually speak to somebody about it and make the actual physical amends? That's a great question, Loretta. Thank you. Um, I, this was my ninth, this was part of my ninth step because, you know, the church was a, uh, on my fourth step and I had an institutional resentment and I wrote it out just like I wrote it out for all the people. And then um, I, in my fifth step, gave it to my sponsor and we talked about it and we talked about how do I make amends? Did I, did I harm the church and how did I harm it and what was my part? So really all the things that happened to me in the Catholic church happened, you know, those are real. But my part in it, my part is that I continue to badmouth the Catholic Church mm-hmm. for 30 years. So that was my part. That's what I owed the amend for. And so I called up, a, I didn't even know a Catholic Church, and I asked somebody in program if they knew one, and she gave me the name, and she gave me the name of her, um, her priest. And I called, and I said, can I have an appointment? And they asked what it was about, and I said, I, I need to make I just need to have a, a private conversation with a priest. And that's all they said. And they said, fine. And I made the appointment. I showed up and I just said, I'm part of a 12-step program. I explained it. And I said that I have done a harm to the Catholic Church and I want to amend that. And I did it as an amend. And I said it to him. And the beauty of it was he was, he was a child of an alcoholic and he was a long-term Al-Anon guy. So it was great. He totally got it. And he was blown away. He was like, I've never had anyone make an amend to that, to, to, to a, an institution like that with me. It was a really 
incredibly beautiful experience. And I just had a tremendous amount of respect for him accepting that and accepting me and allowing me to do it. It's beautiful. And I'd be happy to talk to you about it more in more detail if you want to call. Thank you, Loretta H., for your question. Jen Z., your question. And then Marla will come in after you and be the last question. Hi, Jen. Hi. Um, Thank you so much for your share. Uh, Actually, I have so many questions, but I'm going to narrow it down. You talked a lot about codependency. I experienced that with my husband my whole marriage. I didn't know I was in it until I was out of it. Um, And so now that I'm not feeling codependent with my husband through the 12 steps, I'm feeling that expectation to please him in a way that is codependent. And it puts a lot of burden and stress on my life because I'm not, I don't want to play that game anymore. And, you know, he's not in recovery and, he, you know, he, he, he is now where I was before. So I wondered if you had any experience with that um, and, you know, if you have anything to share about that. We Thanks, just want to make Jen. sure that we're not using therapeutic terms and we want to make sure this is related to 12 steps in the program of recovery. That's all I want to interject here, please. Thank you, Melanie. Um, yeah, that's a hard one for me to answer because I'm not an expert on codependence. I, I know how it is for me, how codependent I can be. And I think we all, like like I said in the talk, we grow up with this whole, you know, rule set that we have to please each other. And I, and, and I think it really just comes down again to this connection to higher power. If I'm in this daily contact and I am surrendered, I'm accepting my life, I'm accepting my husband, I'm accepting the life that I inhabit, because that's what the big book teaches me. And I'm surrendering everything to God. So for me, writing those things up in my letter to God in the morning and then sitting quietly with God and saying, thy will be done. What's your direction for me today? How is it that I stay in self-care and still participate in this relationship in a healthy and loving way? And do I have my relationship ideal of who I want to be? Because the big book tells us, get a relationship ideal, put that together and, and do your best to be in spiritual practice in that relationship ideal. So am I building that muscle of doing all these exercises that the big book gives us? We've, it's all in the book. How do, I, how do I show up in a healthy way in my relationship by using these 12 steps? And I can get outside help. I can go, I can go get therapy because I have for many, many years. I can go figure out I can read codependency books. I can do all of that, but it's also how do I turn this over to God and have the faith and have the relationship with this higher power to get the direction. And the direction might be, Marie, go to therapy, read this book, exercise on this this side of it also, the therapeutic side. There's a lot of both going on. But from from a program perspective, how do I just stay connected with God and get the guidance from God to take the next right action? Thanks, Jen. Thank you, Jen, for your question. The wisdom to know the difference which comes to mind. Marla S. Marla S., you're last today to ask a question of Marie J. Hi, Marie. Thank you. Um, ironically, my question about my husband 
um, my husband just walked upstairs <laughs> into the room. So I'm running up here to a different room for some privacy. Um, I have, first of all, thank you. I related to so much of what you had to share. Um, but I have ongoing resentments where I keep feeling the same resentments with my husband of 31 years over and over. I had done a very thorough fourth step on him a couple years back into recovery. Um, but I feel like lately he's had chronic um, pain, chronic pain. And But our history together, I feel like he's always been kind of a hypochondriac. So I have a tendency to be very, very negative and critical and looking to him for that satisfaction. I loved what you said about God. Can you tell me um, when I feel like these things come up, like I'll have the best intentions to be compassionate or patient with him throughout the day. And then it just feels like I'm so repeatedly making the same same mistakes. The, this irritation is just there frequently. When you have the things that just keep returning like that, and I don't want to make like 78 amends a day, and I do pray for God to remove it from me, the selfishness and all that. But when you do make the same mistakes over and over, do you have suggestions of how, is there something else I can be doing so that I can get this at a deeper level so I don't have to do it so many times a day um, seeing myself keep repeating the mistakes or the impatience. Thank you. Thanks, Marla. You know, it really just comes down to working the steps. You know, resentments are unmet expectations. We have an expectation for someone to be something. It's, it's that same thing. I've got emotional programs for happiness. I want you to show up a certain way. I have an expectation of you. And I can't accept you the way you are. My husband is the way he is, and I have, I have given up any notion that anything I say or do is going to change him. And I can either live with that resentment and hold it in my heart, or I can, I can accept it and surrender it and give it to God and ask God to cure me. Because in my mind, the solution is my husband has to change. That's always been my solution. And if, you know, barring that, sugar and booze were the solution. So I got rid of the sugar and the booze. And now all the emotions are up and all the expectations are up. And I want people to change to make me feel comfortable, to fulfill my needs, to fulfill these biological needs. So I want to control that. And if I, if I don't, fully accept the life that I've been given and fully accept that that life has been given to me for my spiritual growth, then I'm going to continue to have the expectation that I will be okay when he changes. And that is a way I can live because I lived that way for the first 10 years of my marriage. And now in full acceptance, and again, I'm not perfect at this, and boy, trust me, stuff comes up and I have to deal with it. And stuff comes up over and over. It does. Because this is our marriage and this is, this is the person who triggers us the most. So of course we're going to have to work on this over and over. But the key is I accept the life I have. I accept the husband I have. And if I don't accept it, I have a choice. I can go get divorced. I can go get therapy. I can go to God. I can surrender it. There's a lot of things I can do. There are options for me. But if I sit in my victim and self-pity that he's not changing to make my life better, then I believe that's the solution. 
And the solution is not that. The solution is I accept the life God has given me for my spiritual growth. How is it that I need to grow spiritually? And sometimes we just got to keep digging, and we find people in program who can help us dig into those steps and get deeper and get farther along. But the first key is give it to God. God, tell me what I'm supposed to do here and do it over and over and every day in my prayer and meditation. Show me acceptance for my husband. Even though I think, you know, I still can get up. I can have full acceptance and I go, but boy, I wish he'd change. You know, <laughs> we're human beings. We're human beings and that's where we go. So it's just a matter of continuing to do the work, continuing to go deeper, work a harder second step and 11th step. Get closer to God. God will change us. I have been changed over and over at depth. But I'm not cured. I'm not cured. I still have work to do. We all have work to do. We are where we are. We accept where we are. And we continue to dig deeper for that connection to the power that can heal us, that can, can make us different, transform us. Thank you, Marla. Thank you, Marla, for the question. And that is the last question today, Marie J. Thank you for offering so much of yourself and sharing your journey here today. It was very thorough and, and much appreciated. Thank you again. Grateful Thank you, for Melanie. It. You betcha. You betcha. The share ID number for today, Sunday, December 29th, 2019, is 13,892. It'll be on our website in a couple of days, and you can listen to it immediately, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that by telephone. But we will now close this session out by reading from the big book on page 164, and we'll start with our book is meant to be suggestive only, and then we'll close out and get Marie's, uh, Marie's um, contact information. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as we trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you 